Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy. All right, so I have to admit to you, um, we're talking about Mark 2 today, which is a story about a miracle. And um, I would not say that this is what I would say is my favorite story at all of Jesus. Um, And I actually would say that like parables and miracles, I often try to avoid teaching on them as much as possible for a couple of reasons. Number one, parables are confusing and that stresses me out. And number two, miracles, supernatural conversations, um, those are really hard conversations just personally, um, to have and have them well. So um, part of that has to do, um, when I was in college, I um, woke up one day, it was my sophomore year, and I could not walk, right? And that was just a really real reality. And I've basically, um, since that point in time, off and on gone through seasons where um, basically my entire, like, right side, it just stops working for different reasons. Um, And so for me... Uh, I'm speaking to you today about a story of a miracle uh, when I have prayed prayers in the middle of the night where I've really asked for Jesus to heal my body, and he hasn't. Um, And so I feel like it's a really raw place to come to you and to say, I could really use this miracle to be real, and um, chronic pain is really hard. Right? So if you're coming at a point today, if you're like, this is hard, and I want to tune out because... Uh, for different reasons, miracles in this conversation feels really complex. Um, can I invite you? I'm with you. This is a pretty hard and tender place for me. And um, I want to invite you to go on a journey with me this morning that maybe is a different conversation around that with the awareness that I don't have the answers, if that makes sense. So with that kind of humility of coming at this conversation, um, I want to talk a little bit about Mark and what we're studying. So Kurt started last week. If you were here, he gave some context to the book of Mark, right? And it's just like some quick things that we know about Gospels, right? So the Gospels are written with a specific point of view in mind, right? So Mark definitely has his agenda that he's coming at, right? And different people can say different things. There's conversations around there being a lot of um, conversations around what's going on with the Roman government at the time, right? We can argue there's a lot about the disciples specifically and Jesus' relationship to the disciples and continuing to see the disciples fail, right? So there's kind of that mindset. Um, And then there's also kind of this honor and shame culture existing right there, right? As well as we see a lot of secrecy in Mark. So those are like, if I had to tell you a few things that I would watch for as we talk about Mark, those are kind of the things that I'm looking at personally. Uh, And just for some context, so in this story, this is Mark 2. So this is really early on in the book of where we're looking at the story of Mark. And I don't know about you, but I kind of imagine like Jesus getting baptized and they're like, go do your thing. And then the disciples like all of a sudden are just like there in the story, like trooping along with him. And so just as a reminder, the disciples conversation comes Mark 3. 
So the disciples are not yet officially in the picture based on Mark's version of the story. And so why that's important is that there had to be a reason why Jesus was going to have followers and disciples, right? And so a healing, a miracle story, that's a really important placement of why the disciples are going to follow Jesus, if that makes sense. So there's some there is some agenda existing maybe perhaps here as well of who Jesus is going to be and why they're trying to show this part of Jesus. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And then if you want to open your Bibles to Mark 2, we'll get going. Lord, I am grateful for this time and this space. I'm grateful to talk about uh, miracles and your person Lord, I just invite you into our hurt and our pain this morning and maybe what has or hasn't been said over miracles. God, I just truthfully place a lot of really huge desires um, and my own agenda and prerogative. And Lord, I just pray that we could be present to what you have for us. God, we love you. In your name, amen. All right, so we're looking at Mark 2, 1 through 12. It should be up here in the slides, I'm hoping. Nailed it. Okay, so we're going to start there. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And he gave them strict orders not to tell anyone else about it. All right, so a few things to point out about the passage just right off the bat. Right, this is a homecoming conversation. So if you've been home, like this is my home, either you are very popular when you come home or you are not popular at all, right? When you see artists come into town that like they are from that city, they're either drawing lots of their people or they are not and they do better in other cities, correct? And so what we see here is that Jesus does pretty well, right? That there's actually this packed building of people that want to talk to him, want to be around him. There seems to be rumor of who Jesus is and what he's currently doing, right? And so then you enter the scene where you see a man being lowered through the roof. So if we could actually look at those pictures, do we get those images on there? Of different, yeah, here we go. So here are some different variations of what people have depicted this moment of. And if you're me and you need some visual reminders, this is crazy, right? Like if you imagine right now someone propelling themselves down, like I feel like I would not, I would probably try to talk through it. Like nobody noticed. There's a man coming in, it's fine, it's totally normal, right? So I think that what this shows is kind of the craziness of that moment. And then also, I have a lot of questions. Right, number one, 
when someone, they started digging out the roof, is stuff falling on Jesus' head, right? And is he like, huh, it's a bird, right? And then, like, when they actually get that opening and now it becomes windy, like, at what point does Jesus acknowledge they are fully digging through the roof at this point, right? And so these are my questions of that moment of, like, is Jesus keeping a straight face? Is this normal to him? Do people just do that? Like, I don't know. And so kind of what's going on for him as he's watching someone be lowered? Right? That's my first question. My next thought. When I read this passage, I get really stuck on the miracle and the line of, son, your sins are forgiven. Right? So I think something really important to know is that if we look at this Greek word of son, right, that isn't a normal moment. Right? So there's something going on here. It could have been, one, that Jesus knew this person and he's giving an endearing word of son to this man. Number two, this could be a literal child that is being lowered down. And what we knew about people being pushed out to the outskirts if they had disabilities or if they're not um, a part of normal society, there's just, does that make sense? There's some questions over like, is this a kid? Is this an adult? Why is Jesus calling this person son? And what relationship does he have that he feels comfortable to do that, right? And then I think we have to go to the addressing of the sins conversation, right? Because they simplified variation of the story is, if I no longer sin, my body will be healed, right? That's kind of what we can narrow this down to. And I have to admit to you, it is really easy to do that without thinking through the context. And yet, I think all of us, as I say that, we're like, yeah, but that doesn't make sense, right? Like, we know that bad things happen to good people, right? People say those statements all the time. And so kind of what's going on here in the story? Why is this man healed? Okay, and so I think what we have to remember is what Jesus is doing in this moment of him healing this man is that he is having an act of inclusion back into society, right? Because Jewish um, people would have been going to the temples to become clean and unclean, right? So there's that rhythm is occurring all the time. And so if you imagine what's happening is if you are paralyzed, you are unable to get to the temple and back, right? So what would you do if you're paralyzed? What would you need? Or you would need people to help get you there to become clean, and you would probably need finances of some kind, right? You start playing that out, and it's most likely that someone that had a disability or an impairment, they're being pushed to the outskirts of the community. So when Jesus says to this guy, your sins are forgiven, what he's saying is you're back in the community. You don't have to keep doing this. Right? You don't have to keep going through this ritual and this rhythm. That Actually, the miracle that's happening is that this man has been said, you are back in this community. Right? And so I want to have a conversation as we break down and think about kind of miracles and what's happening in this miracle. I want to more transition towards a conversation of inclusion and what miracle of inclusion is happening today in 2019. So last year, I was finishing seminary, and um, I was in this class called Reconciliation, which is stressful. And um, yeah, and so it was with Randy Woodley, which if you know Randy Woodley, like he is a firecracker and amazing. So uh, he asked us to spend an entire year to write this paper on this reconciliation between something and the church. And I started having conversations with Randy, I feel like, for many weeks, where I was, like, trying to decide what reconciliation conversation I wanted to have. 
Because to be honest, like, I had done the whole woman thing. I'm like, I'm over it. Like, I'm a pastor. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And then, like, I had done some work on LGBTQIA and what that looked like and race and some of those conversations. But um, while I find those really important topics, they're not my story, if that makes sense. And so I didn't want to keep being the person that was, like, the white straight girl that kept having that conversation for someone else. And so I think in between, like, being in really serious chronic pain, specifically in the last two years, and having a couple hip surgeries and what that looked like. Um, And then also just honestly with an education lens, which is my background, and um, thinking through classrooms and inclusivity in our classrooms downstairs of kids, I ended up writing a paper on um, disabilities and ableism, basically, and the reconciliation between the church and how do we have these conversations better. And what I found is that there are only really a few theologians that are willing to have this conversation and to facilitate this, right? And why I find that so critical is that um, some research, so this is old research, so if you think about 2002 research, uh, basically what they were saying is if you put on uh, a continent or in a country, sorry, of how many people struggled with disabilities, you would have like the third largest country, And then if you added on to that, um, like any sort of like mental health or addiction or any of that, if you classify that as well as a disability, that you would have the largest country. And so what that said to me was that this is something that transcends socioeconomic, race, gender. Like it's something much larger than that, right? It affects all of us and many of us, and whether it's a personal thing or someone we know, it's around us all the time, and yet churches, we don't know how to have the conversation. And so I started to really dig in, like, why can churches not have this conversation? Like, what's happening? And so a few things happen. um, My friend, Heather Avis, she wrote this book called The Lucky Few, and it is her experience of adopting kiddos with Down syndrome and kind of her push towards putting them into churches and classrooms And basically saying, like, yeah, you're good with my kid in nursery, but you're not okay once the kid goes into the classroom. And so kind of continuing that conversation of, like, how did we get here? What happened? And so um, what I found is that there are two major factors that influence this conversation. So number one is the Enlightenment period. So in the Enlightenment period, what the church decided, essentially, is that you have to be able to be in the church, Right? So that means that you are either, you kind of took on this dualistic thought process of either you are able or you are not abled. And they were leaning towards this intelligence, wanting and desiring this able community. And so the church really took on this mindset of to know Jesus, to understand Jesus, you need to be able. And that is when we started to have interpretations of texts like this one, where we started to lean towards the sin conversation and that man being healed because of his sin instead of the actual conversation that was going on for this man in historical period. Okay, So that's influencer number one. Influencer number two is eugenics, and that has to do with Nazi Germany, World War II, conversations of like your perfect race, and that continued the conversation in the church specifically, which I'm sure we're all like, well, that's uncomfortable. Uh, But specifically, that was a church-led conversation of what does it look like to have the healthy and the able body? And so it was a continuation that's really flown through. So I would love to say that Cascade is above this, and um, have we figured this all out. Don't you worry. Uh, you did this great paper, so what's the problem, right? Uh, but I don't know if you've noticed, but if we wanted to have someone come to a classroom downstairs, so our class this morning was in our classroom, 
You have to be able to get downstairs. And we don't have an elevator. So we are assuming you are able to walk downstairs. Now, I don't know um, if you have ever felt like you couldn't get down the stairs, but as someone who has spent some time measuring my parking spot and if I could make it inside from the parking spot and the anxiety that that produces, there's a lot of energy when you think you can't get somewhere to be put towards, can I do it? Does that make sense? And I think what's tricky is that we're asking a community to come to us and say, hey, can you figure out how I could go to your classroom hosted downstairs instead of us being inclusive, which would have the knowledge that we need to think through classrooms and where we're hosting them. Right? That means when I'm in a classroom experience downstairs, that if I say that all kiddos can be included in our class, I have to mean all kiddos. Right? So that means that we need to have the right sort of materials and experiences for kids that anyone can walk in and they can participate in our lesson that morning. Right? And so that's a really tricky thing. And so kind of what I landed in this paper is um, how do we understand a Jesus who his message and the miracle of his message is to be inclusive? Right? And there are three really clear things about Jesus that we see. So number one is we see that he values personhood of any of his healing and his miracle stories over the disability. Right? With a woman when she like interrupts him and she's healed right, of bleeding, there's this intense moment of like he has to see and be with that woman, and that's scandalous. Right? And so there's this continual message of your person, that son or that man, whoever came down, he has endearing language with people. He wants to interact with people. Right? Number two, we see inclusion versus marginalization. Right? I think that Jesus, what I'm always amazed by is that he had time. Right? Sometimes I don't feel like I have time, to be honest, to do one more conversation, right? And so I think what's amazing is that Jesus always seems to, in these stories and miracles, it's like he just has the time to be there with the person right then, right? We were just talking, Danielle and I were just talking about the story where Jairus and his daughter dies, right? But Jesus had the time to be there with that person right then. Right? And number three is social collaboration versus isolation. So there continues to be this message of bringing people back into society, bringing them back into the right then, right now. So I feel like we can conclude that inclusiveness, that is a huge piece of Jesus' message. And I wonder what it would look like if we continued to look at miracles, not as this like miraculous healing, but instead of this miraculous moment of inclusion. Right, but so then, like, what do we do still, though, with this idea of supernatural and miracles and the whole conversation? Like, that doesn't resolve it for many of us, which I, I hear you. I understand. Right, and so there's a video um, I watched. I don't know if you've seen it. And the video shows this little boy, and he puts on glasses for the first time, and then he can, like, see color. And he's, like, walking around the entire room. He's like, it's red. Like, the car is white. And it feels almost repetitive for someone that can see color all the time. But I feel like what's amazing about that video is it actually lets us enter in to, like, this moment of a miracle for a child. Right? That he has these fresh eyes. And for the first time, I believe he's seeing something that is a beautiful world that he was not prepared for. Right? And he's like, it's this color and this color. And I just imagine that kiddo being in their preschool class and the teacher is teaching colors and like that kid couldn't see the color. Right? And I think about from a really young age that that kid can start teaching themselves the message of like, I'm not intelligent. 
right? I didn't see something that everyone else learned. And it's really subtle, I think, but I think it can start so early. And so by those glasses being put on the child, I feel like that's a miracle, right? I think that's a moment that we pass over kind of in our 2019 life over and over, and we just skim right through. We're like, yeah, 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 the technology is great, whatever. But I think what we have to see is like, what are the miracles that are existing around us right now that send that message of inclusion, right? I think about the doctors who have created chemotherapy and radiation, right? I think about therapist practices. I just start going through things that exist that we have just created and thought that they were just kind of like what it should be in 2019. But if I stop and I pause, right, those are things that have created incredible miracles for people I have loved, or that I've been close to or around. I, uh, I have this person I really love, and last week I was talking to him, and um, I asked him what was his make or breaks, essentially, for believing in Jesus. Like, at this point in your life, or where you are today, like, what's the things? Like, what's your non-negotiables? And um, he's in a season where he really doesn't believe in Jesus, which is totally okay. And the thing that he said is, um, you know, I would believe in Jesus if I could understand a supernatural Jesus. And that kind of went, took me down this path of like, I hear what you're saying to me, right? When I was living in Africa and people were talking to me all the time about healings that were happening and things that were happening around them, I wanted to hear them with open arms. And yet I'm skeptical when I start hearing those conversations. Right, but that's, that's not my job, right? It's not my job to decide when someone has or hasn't been a part of a healing or a part of a miracle, right? It's not my job that I would really like my own hip to be healed any day now would be awesome, right? I think what my job is in those moments and in those conversations is to be the person that starts to notice and point out the miracles that are happening all around me all the time that create that message of inclusion over and over and over again. And I think actually when we miss that, we're kind of buying into that enlightenment thought process, that eugenics thought process, instead of what I want to be buying into, which is a message of Jesus. 